3: But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project
0: handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
4: Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash bpshow. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash bpshow, patreon.com slash bpshow. You need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show. Live
1: at youtube.com/slash the Bill Press Show. Well, hello, everybody. It is the Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn. I am not Bill Press, nor am I Evan McMorris Santoro, who will be hosting the show today, despite the fact that I am here now. Evan is on his way, uh, and we're going to do a little switcheroo here in mere moments as soon as he arrives, but you are stuck with me for now, Uh, but Evan will be here momentarily to help guide you through today's program, and what a program it is here on a Friday, January 26th. Is that right? Are we almost out of January already? Holy cow. That was fast. That was fast. Well, time flies when you're living in hell, apparently. Uh well look once again folks we had an entire show planned for you today uh a a a well rounded uh, solid show lots of stuff to talk about we've got uh, the DACA bill the DACA uh, deal is apparently falling apart Democrats continue to uh, cave to the Republicans all of that and then at last night uh at hell it was like eight thirty last night the New York Times Maggie Haberman. Drops a bombshell: Trump ordered Robert Mueller fired, but backed off when White House Counsel threatened to quit. My goodness!
4: No, that's fake news.
1: It's fake. It's fake news. It's of course it's fake news. It's fake news.
4: Like, first of all, in fact, Trump at said that it was fake news.
1: Did he really? He did. Do of you course he did. Yeah, let's let me himself. hear it. It just he he everything he says just makes me annoyed but let, we might as well just listen to it oh.
4: typical New York Times fake stories
1: fake stories there he is fake stories uh you know I I, I mean that's his answer to everything I guess Uh, I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs here from the New York Times. We're going to get into this a lot during today's program, I assure you. Um, uh, President Trump ordered the firing last June of Robert Mueller, the special counsel overseeing the Russia investigation, according to four, four people told of the matter, but ultimately backed down after the White House counsel threatened to resign rather than carry out the directive. So by the way, I don't want to out anybody here, and I don't want to... Put anybody in jeopardy. But this story came directly from Don McGahn. Like, had to. Had to. He is the man who uh, threatened to resign rather than carry out the firing of Robert Mueller. By the way, I, I know that, like, everybody has been freaking out and being like, oh my God, this is crazy that uh uh that Donald Trump tried to do this it's not crazy of course he tried to do this it's just the most predictable thing I could have possibly imagined of course he did that (laughs) like I'm shocked it took like they it took him this long to get for this story to come out anyway we're going to talk all about that plus today's a big anniversary it's 20th anniversary like, I remember back when presidents were honest, upstanding people and never told a lie ever. <laughs> like, 20, <laughs> like 20 years ago when Bill Clinton said this.
4: I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. Okay. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Ms. Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie. Not a single time. Never. Never. These allegations are false.
1: They're fake news. I need
4: to go back to work for the American people. Thank
1: you. When he started saying these allegations are false, I thought he was going to say these allegations are fake news. These allegations are fake news made up by the fake news media. I did not do it. Anyway, folks, Evan's going to be here in just a moment. We'll have a uh, great show coming up. Stay tuned to The Bill Price Show. We're going to take a very, very, very quick break. We'll be right back. On TV and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Bill Press Show. Good morning, everybody. I have switched chairs and look who's here.
2: Hey, look, look who's here. <laughs> hey, America's most punctual reporter. <laughs> Evan McMorris-Santoro, Hi, uh, 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 your official fill-in host, and now actually a uh, far less superior beard game to Peter Ar- you, Your Your beard looks great, Peter.
1: Oh, uh, thanks, man. That is a I,
2: serious, serious I'm beard. I'm just sort
1: of letting it go. I love it. I think Here's my rule, I think, that I'm going to just sort of maintain on the beard. Uh, if we hit 80 degrees, I'll trim it up. <laughs> I'll trim it up.
2: All right. We... <laughs>
1: Otherwise, we're just going to go with
2: it. Uh, have you seen the new Letterman thing on Netflix? I have. With, uh, actually, it, the, his he, he he trims it back a little bit. Yeah. to See the president. Yeah. But, I mean, I think you should let it go.
1: I think I'm just going to go with it. Yeah. Just yeah. I think I'm just going to go it's, with it. Like, it it's Who, it. Who am I
2: trying to impress? <laughs> if it hits eighty degrees, we're going to trim it. Who am I trying to impress? No, I think it's an impressive beard. Well, you're you're impressing me with it. Well, thanks, man. So where were we? Well, we were just
1: talking about how we put together an entire show. Rich with content, yeah. wonderful stuff to talk about. Yeah. And at about eight thirty last night, Maggie Haberman's New York Times piece hit, and it just sort of blew everything out of the water. Yeah. Yet again, <laughs> we had a great show that
2: you will never see or hear. <laughs> it was it was really good, actually. We had there was there was going to be people coming through elephants yeah. and sounds I mean, think, and like keep the elephant, just send them home. <laughs> They're out there waiting. This just is, send them home. This is one of the weirdest things about is that like the thing is, I actually even though it's so common, I still kind of uh forget that it can happen yeah because like because I was just out you know I was out having a bite to eat having some dinner last night and then this thing comes out yeah and it's like my whole day is blown up too I have plans for today right because like I was already working on stuff about this new immigration uh framework the president put out right this daca thing and then there it is oh he actually did try to fire Robert Mueller this happened and to... had to be pulled back yeah by the his own chief counsel yeah
1: like, this happens to us a couple of times a week now. This happened yesterday, right? We had a whole show put together, and then he had this gaggle before he left to go to Davos, where he essentially, like, he changed the deadline of a deal on DACA. Mm-hmm. He talked about how he's willing to uh, uh, testify under oath uh, with Mueller. Like, they walked that back.
2: They did walk Let's that back. They, they walked. It, they walked that back. They walked Mueller's stuff back. I mean, this is the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's fake news. <laughs> it's a... Well, but this... Fake news. <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah, but this was confirmed by other outlets uh, shortly after he said it. Uh, I mean, shortly after Maggie Haberman, you know, reported it, it. It 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 was it was confirmed or by Politico. I mean, this is one of those things where it's like this is now the story that's out in the world, which is that the president tried to fire the person in charge of investigating him. Yeah, and I also love the parts in here where he says there's a conflict of interest. Uh, because uh Mueller like didn't like to pay the dues at the golf course, yeah. the Trump golf course. Yeah, he had an issue with the Trump golf course fee. Which not <laughs> I know. It's early in the morning, but like not to just like but can we get a person in the United States government that has not at some point embarrassed themselves with something to do with the Trump organization? Please why there are a million golf courses in this in yeah. this place. And and the and the funny thing is, everybody talks now with this way of like Trump properties are like so, you know, it's it's all smoke and mirrors or not as nice as they look on the outside. And like it's all, you know, it's all just like a, an artifice. But yet every single person like you, you consistently are into, they're either going to events there, they're paying money to be parts of it. Like yeah. That's a whole different tangent on my on its own. But anyway, and also, Trump has been a a a generous description would be
1: he's been a controversial figure for quite some time. Sure, yeah, right. So like, if you are a politician or you live in the world of politics, like I would say he's been like a kind of a scumbag for a long time. But I'll (laughs) I'll be generous today and say like he's been a controversial, sure, a lightning rod, if you will.
2: Sure, we're talking about birtherism. We're talking about we're talking about. uh, his his uh, scammy companies and scammy sure. products. We're talking about just sort of the fact that like his television show itself was like sort of bad. Yeah. Like I mean I mean I mean, I mean th- the whole thing is wild. Anyway, this is a, th- that's a, that's a whole different part of it. So what do you think is this 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 now does to everything that we're supposed to be talking about the Because like this DACA thing just happened. Yeah, he re- he releases a deal. By the way, we'll talk about it more, but it doesn't seem like the president's uh, framework for immigration is really going to go much of any place uh, very quickly. However, he did do this big newsy thing, and now we're talking about this again. So, like, what do you think that means? Honestly, we're all going to
1: talk about it a lot today, and it's going to be driving the news cycle for an uncharacteristic maybe couple of days, right? Like we'll actually live to see something last a couple of days in a new cycle besides getting swept away by something else in a matter of hours. Right. But at the end of the day, I don't think this does much. Again, it's like Donald Trump has mastered – Donald Trump's true skill, right, is not a communicator or a leader or a businessman or any of that. His true skill is that he can – control the narrative and turn it into whatever he wants. And so he immediately called this fake news. Um, Republicans are looking for a reason to not trust this Mm -hmm. story. Sure. Like, I've said the whole time, Donald Trump, of course he's going to try and fire Robert Mueller.
2: And you know what's going to happen? Nothing. Well, I mean, this is the thing about him. Everything just sort of bounces off at this point. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had a a pretty remarkable uh, tale of, you know, just setting up a shell company to pay off a uh porn star to not talk about an affair that she had with him. Like, and that's all these, the fourth I, biggest news story of the week. I don't even think it was even. Maybe an, not even the top five. Uh, yeah. That's, I, think that's, I think that's like I think I think the crockpot thing with the show This Is Us is a bigger <laughs> story than that. Honestly. Yeah. Like yeah. Crockpot had to put a statement out. <laughs> <laughs> fair. That's fair. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think that's a bigger story than the story Daniels. Story. And so, I mean, look, you're right. This is going to be a huge deal inside Washington. And, 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 you know, like, look, we've seen this. We've seen all this play out before. You have course reports of the president. They're going to say, like, this is – it doesn't matter. This is fake news or whatever. But there is a sense that we have heard from a lot of people in, in the city that this uh, – in Washington, which is, like, where all these investigations are yeah. going on – That this idea of going after Mueller directly, that firing Mueller directly, is some kind of red line that raises a lot of hackles in people's eyes. So the fact that it was sort of threatened and he didn't do it, you know, it didn't happen. But the fact that he was even, like, discussed actively I think is going to raise some eyebrows.
1: Yeah, I I think that's probably – all that's going to happen, though.
2: Right, <laughs> like, okay, you're right. Crockpot stock will not d- dip as it happens.
1: <laughs> Eyebrows will be raised. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Butts will be scuttled. <laughs>
2: uh, tits will be tits.
1: Sabers will be rattled.
2: <laughs> Tea Mon- leaves will be red. Will
1: yeah, monocles-, <laughs> monocles will fall. And that's it. Yeah. That's it. I, just, I mean, what, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Well, let's look at it this way. Let's look at it this way.
2: You do have the thing where, you know, other people who are reading this include Robert Mueller. Yeah. Now, he's a good investigator by all accounts, and people think he's very competent at what he's doing. He's also a person. And, like, if I was under investigation from the FBI and a former FBI director was leading that investigation, um, would I sort of like publicly (laughs) tout the fact that, like, I was trying to, like, sort of. Jack that around, probably yeah. not. Yeah, no, no. Probably not. Yeah, no. Probably not. No. Like he already has all these people that he's talking to. He already has all these people that have flipped, or well, you know, or at least trying to trying to flip, um, or or, or talking about you know trying to get uh, <coughs> immunity at all. So like you know, I, I this is like a story that I think will land with a certain sort of residence in town because like you said, we you blew away your whole schedule for the show today. People are all over the – I mean, I had a plan today to go from here um, to uh, the Vice News newsroom down by the Mayflower Hotel and crank out a story about the immigration thing. We still might do it, but, like, it feels kind of dumb now. Like, it's like, oh, that thing, that was like – that news of that immigration framework, that was like 20 – Twenty years ago, right, exactly. Like now, we're on the other thing. This is just how the news happens, now. right? Right. So we, so it, it's it, it's a thing that gets in the way of what he of what he wants to talk about, what he wants to do. Trump in Davos, he was having a good day. I even saw some stories that was written about like how like people in Davos who, um, you know, were really worried about this president and like really concerned about hanging out with him, are like now kind of liking him. Like there's like he's sort of getting along. You know, all that is blown away now by this. <laughs> <laughs> Yet again,
1: I. Uh...
2: What else? Uh, yeah, I mean, look,
1: th- th- that's a big story, but like, I, like at the end of the day, it, it comes down to like the immigration stuff, the DACA deal, the Democrats sort of caving on the shutdown. In our opinion, yeah, I-, I think still have bigger ramifications for what we are going to
2: face in the days and weeks ahead. Well, should we? I mean, have we? Have you guys talked about the DACA thing? Should we talk a little bit about, about, about it? About it. So this is the that is the other part of the news day yesterday. So we have this bombshell. Robert Mueller firing because he was uh, not—didn't like Trump's golf course or whatever it was. And then we also have this thing that, you know, since the Democratic uh, the, the democratic fight over immigration that led to the shutdown, since that short shutdown, we are now in this period. Where we have three weeks until we're supposed to get back to some sort of deal on DACA and Dreamers and figuring out, you know, how to get this off the plate finally. We have not seen much movement as to what that was going to be. In fact, a colleague of mine yesterday called a uh, major uh, Dreamer lobbying group and found that they had just, like, taken the day off yesterday. Like, they're just like I – mean, people are just, like, not – there was, there, was there was a lot of effort that went into this before the uh, shutdown. And now the shutdown has happened. Now we're in this part where we're at the, in the in this three week's home stretch. And so we get the president's um, – the White House finally gives us some sort of framework as what it, what is they'll actually do and what they'll actually sign. Just on because, time, right on time. Right, because we hadn't we hadn't seen that or heard about it or, or from them for this entire time. A big pro- part of this problem has been like nobody knows what it is. The White House really actually wants to do. By the way,
1: there was a lot of uh, back and forth from the White House uh, earlier this week and and at the end of last week, saying you know. Uh, You know, the Democrats, we've been very clear on this with the Democrats. Democrats, we've told them what we wanted. We told them what the deal was, which was not the case. And the only real complaining about we haven't heard anything from the White House came from Republicans. Right? We had Lindsey Graham come out and say, we're waiting. We're waiting. Mitch McConnell came out and said, "We're waiting on some guidance from the White House here. Yeah. We don't know what to do. We don't know what they want." So it was Republicans that had a problem with how the White House was handling this. So now that the government has shut, the shutdown has been over for uh, a little under a week. Right on time, we get the White House framework yeah. for immigration exactly. reform. That's
2: correct. Great. That's correct. Uh, and the White House framework is uh, it's, it's essentially the top line is they say they're going to, uh, you know, allow uh, legal status for. Not just the dreamers who signed up for DACA, but all of them, like 1.8 million dreamers, with some caveats. But then attached to it is a plan to essentially remake the way immigration works in this country in a very, very fundamental way. Like yeah. we're talking about, like ending um, the ability to, for people to bring in their, you know, extended family or, or, you know, the what they call chain migration, which people call family reunification, a key to American uh, um, um, immigration understanding. We're talking about, you know, obviously you know, as anything has to do in Washington, some massive spending on border security and massive spending on, on stuff like that. This is like a very, you know, it, it's the early results, the early responses to it were the the the, the dreamer groups didn't really like it that much uh, at all. And then apparently immigration hardliners didn't like it very much at all either. But it is sort of now we have a, something to debate with, I guess. I, I think that's probably right.
1: I mean, I do think that this sort of highlights what bill was saying earlier that the democrats had an opportunity with this shutdown to sort of make a point that uh that, that that something needed to get done and that they had sort of the high ground on this and now what's happened is the gop and the trump administration has realized that they can sort of use these daca recipients to hide behind the fact that they are still putting forward a large chunk of stephen miller's immigration agenda
2: Oh, huge! I mean, this like is. A, I mean, this is. This is a very big part. I mean, what they're trying to do is change. I mean, you know, the legal immigration side of it. This attack. This this ability to 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 reduce legal immigration is a huge uh, goal of people like Steve Miller, and that's in the the deal. Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, we're that that's in the. I mean, we're talking about you know uh, endless visa lottery system. We're, I mean, a lot of changes that, that are made. That, like, again, the goal is to reduce. Like, there, some of this stuff has been voted on by Democrats before and supported. Some hasn't. There's, like, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of various moving parts. But the goal is to reduce legal immigration, which is, you know, a big deal. A I big mean,
1: deal. You, I think you said it right when you said they're going to fundamentally change the way that immigration happens in this country. And it's sort of, um, I mean, it's kind of hard to watch in the sense that, like it it's such a big change but it's also such a such a shift from what we've always been as a country right i think um and look democrats i think had a real opportunity to sort of at least slow this process down and just say like wait a minute we need to make the
2: case here so the thought by people on the, the, who watch your your our viewers people, our and base. and and uh and old old bill himself is that the shutdown was a huge failure for democrats yes Okay. Yes. And yeah, the- Bill thinks the Democrats completely, totally caved, and I
1: don't disagree with that. I mean, look, here's something. This is just a very base observation, right? But yep. I'm very, very good at those. Okay. To be fair. Yeah. Sure. Uh, in the previous shutdowns, Republicans got to- during the uh, Obama years, uh-huh. right? When they were when they were shut down. 2013. Repu- Republicans got total blame for it. Yep. Every poll that came out showed Republicans are getting the blame for it by a large majority. Yep. And you know what happened? We've got a Republican president. We've got a Republican Senate. We've got a Republican House. So they didn't pay that big of a price for it. I know politics moves pretty quickly, and that was sort of a no long price, time. But at the same years. time, they, they paid zero price. In yeah. fact, they, they just got more powerful. And so if Democrats thought, oh, we're going to get blamed for this. This is going to be horrible. I mean— which is what they did.
2: Yeah. Well, it's very hard for Democrats to shut the government down because Democrats like the government. They like the government. They believe in the, the government. Thing. This is this is. I mean, I, I mean, I, as a strategy itself, it just it's like one of those things that sounds really appealing. But then when you actually get close to doing it, there, you know, which of the two parties do you think is going to freak out over something like a government I get being that. shut down?
1: I do get that. I understand. I, I think that we are now at a point where the the Base of both parties, right? The core of both political parties is no longer about ideas or or beliefs or anything like that. It's just the Democrats have to make the argument that government is here and can work, here for you and can work, and Republicans are trying to make the argument that that government is bad.
2: Yeah, I mean that's sort of been like an underlying thing for I years. Mean, I, I mean, right? But that makes sense. But but but, but what I'm saying is you have a, you have a situation in which i I think that there's a that the Democrats box themselves, put, put themselves in a box they're, they're not really sure what to do about any of this stuff because of fact you have a white House you can't negotiate with. And yeah. you don't know what they want. Right. So the whole thing just – and he changes every day, even if you do get something that you want. So, you know, they're throwing a lot of stuff at the wall, but I'm saying I, I didn't. it didn't surprise me too much that they didn't have, like, a lot of spine to, like, keep the government shut down. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's be
1: clear. I wasn't surprised by it at right. all. <laughs> 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 I want to be clear about you that. I
2: wish they had done better, but yeah. I, it is not a shock. Yeah, yeah, by yeah. By any fair stretch. Enough. Fair enough. All right. So now we're going to see what happens with this with this Dreamer thing. And and what happens with this with with this White House plan? Well, we will hear about it more um, today because uh, you know one of the interesting things about it was that uh, uh, Dick Durbin the spokesperson said yesterday that uh, you know cause Dick Durbin obviously has been very closely tied to making some of these these bipartisan negotiations about this, and he said that uh, he you know it was hard for him to comment on this White House deal because this White House pitch because uh, they briefed the media. And the Republicans uh, before the Democrats that were that they were going to talk about it on Monday, Mm. so he's like, I'm just trying to scramble get my head around this thing. So that's fair. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, that. I'm saying the White House releases a thing yeah. it's supposed to be a bipartisan deal, tells the media and the Republicans, doesn't tell the Democrats about it. And so now, today, we're going to see a lot more Democratic response to it. And the early yeah. Democratic response was negative. Sure, yeah. And now we're going to see more coming out. Coming out. Yeah.
1: I, I want to play—we uh, have a couple of clips on this, by the way, because yeah. um, I want to get your take on this as well, because the wall is still sort of out there in question, right? Like, Schumer says— It's a big part of it. Sch- Schumer says no wall. Yeah, Jimmy says no DACA, no wall. Uh-huh. Uh, yesterday, Jeff Flake, uh, senator from Arizona, he spoke a little bit uh, about the wall and and uh, what's what the whole border security situation is looking like now. There's certainly going to be border security uh, in there, and a wall. Uh, well, it depends on the definition of wall and what we've always faced. Uh, it's it's mostly fence, um, but additional border security that's great, and uh, we need more of it. I just want to say, I just want to say really quickly. Here's what's going to happen with the wall, uh-huh. right? This is my prediction. Uh, they're gonna, they're gonna build a couple of these prototypes, right? They've already started building some of yeah. these prototypes, right? And Trump is going to visit them and, you know, go there and point to them and say how great they are, right? They're going to be a lot of picture opportunities while he's standing in front of these prototypes, and that'll be as far as we get with the wall. But that's all he's going to need. <laughs> Because he's going to get pictures in front of a wall, (laughs) even though it's maybe thirty
2: feet long. Well, if he gets the deal, he wants to get twenty five billion dollars in money in a trust fund to build something like this. I mean, look, I agree. This debate about whether you know this is this has been the ongoing thing. Is it's like is it a wall? Is it not a wall? Is it going to be? You know, of course, the president was very clear. It's going to be a big, huge, tall wall, like serious wall. And now it's like it's a fence. All he
1: needs is a photo in front of a giant. Wall prototype. That's it. We're and building it. He is done. We're building it. Look at this. He Look at is this wall done. We have. That's all he needs. So whether he gets the money or not, or whether the Democrats give him the wall, or they they fight for it, or whatever, 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 that it, that that's all he needs. He's going to take one picture in front of one of these small, very small, uh, 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 pieces of wall, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. and it's done. Let's just put it out. <laughs> Be like here it this. is, folks. I hey, built the wall. I told you I was going to build it, and and that'll be the picture that. The, anytime that he talks about the wall from here to kingdom come, that'll be the picture that they
2: use. I don't know. I do think that if he gets a budget allocation for wall money, which is what he's asking for now, then they've made and they clear what they want: twenty-five billion dollars in what they call a trust fund for border security that includes wall things that are not wall. Uh, like more border guards yeah. and more, you know, lasers and whatever. I don't know. Sure. The, I don't know. Robot. I, whatever they're going to do. Yeah. Whatever you do at the border. Including, by the way, a huge amount of money for northern border security. So Canada's oh, really? getting oh, a I wall too. <laughs> Canada's getting a wall too. Or maybe it's like a big moat that you fill with like maple syrup or something. I don't know. <laughs> whatever you're going to do with the Canadians. <laughs> There'll just you... be
1: someone there to just be like, maybe you should turn around. And the Canadians just go, oh, okay. Oh, so sorry. Oh, oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. 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 Sorry about they're that. Not, that's it. You don't need a wall. Hey, maybe you should think about
2: coming over here, guys. Oh, well, that's a Sor- good
1: point. We'll sorry, leave. we're yeah. sorry.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> um, exactly. So they're gonna have. So the, so they. But so now. But I do believe that if he gets some money for, uh, you know, he gets Congress to allocate him some actual funds for what could be called wall construction. That that is itself the same as that photo op you're talking about. Yeah. Like yes. Because the idea, if you think back to the idea of the most outlandish things from the Trump campaign, the most outlandish one was the idea that we were going to have, you know, this massive construction project building us a huge wall on the border. If he gets the funding to even begin it, that is a huge victory for him. Yeah. This is an impossible well, thing point. to imagine. That's a good point. And now we're talking about maybe maybe, we'll, maybe we'll just give him some money for it. This is a, that, That's a lot. That's yeah. a, that's a big deal. That's fair. That's a big deal. That's fair. And, I, and 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 I do think that, you know, maybe the you know, maybe the northern border security uh, apology bor- barrier that you're discussing that just sort of like <laughs> that, won't, that won't get as much attention. Yeah, no, I don't think so. But still, it's like the, you know, the ability to have this big change on how um immigration works and how the country Puts his f- sort of face forward with things like wall construction and things like that, um, you know, that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big accomplishment for Trump if he gets it. And you know, that said, you know, uh, tell me what the difference is. Like, I mean, I mean, a fence and a wall. I mean, they they they, they love this particular thing as well, well. It, because we're not, we're not talking about like a chain link fence. We're talking about like a right huge tall metal thing.
1: It, it's interesting because Lindsey Graham talked about this uh, yesterday too, and and. You hear, I mean, border security is not a new term, but, like, you're sort of seeing them use border security interchangeably with the wall. Here's Lindsey Graham talking about it yesterday.
3: If the president does embrace a pathway to citizenship, that means Republicans can and should demand more on border security, and we got to deal with the chain migration issue that arises when you legalize DACA recipients because they can sponsor their parents.
4: But we can, I think, fix all of that.
1: So that could mean we can a fix of different things. We, we can yeah, fix it all.
2: We can fix all of that again negotiating from a position that you believe that something you can make a deal yeah look i mean this is also again a thing that 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 should be remembered like you know in theory what we're hearing from the republican party and from the president is that they really want to do something about these dreamers this is a very sad story these people who brought over the border as children no choice in the matter grew up their entire lives here they deserve to be you know have some protections legal protections and then it's like, okay, well, we, so everybody agrees on that? No, no. We do say we like the idea, but we will use them as pawns in, a neg- like, I mean, that's what Lindsey, Gra- Lindsey Graham, who's supposed to be reasonable on this, he's talking, he's like, well, geez, I mean, if we're going to, you know, protect the dreamers, Yeah, we should at least exact some penalties from the Democrats. <laughs> like, that's the part that's the most remarkable about this, is that the dreaming, you know, the, the dreamer, legal protection for dreamers is a, one of the most popular things in American politics. You poll it, very, very popular. Everybody wants to do something about these sure. kids, help them out. And some of them are kids, some of them are not. But everyone wants to do something about these people who came over uh, as minors and, and, have, and have grown up in the United States. And yet, we just live in a reality now too, where again the whole notion of it is that this is a this this is a negotiating bargaining chip. Yeah, that's a whole other weird thing that's going on. And so you got somebody like Lindsey Graham talking about it. They do think they can do it. They think they can get some stuff. And like you said, like you know, is the wall going to be a wall? Is it going to be a fence? Is it going to be border guards? Is it going to be you know laser beams? Is it going to be um, a moat? Or whatever. Is it just going to be some you know? Loud dogs. I don't know whatever they're going to put down there. The to, goal, to, to combat but what the... they're saying is they're going to be doing it because they're saying if you want, if you really want these dreamers yeah. to be yeah. safe, you're going to have to give us some stuff. Man, that's the weird thing about where we are with all this stuff. Anyway, yeah. so I th- I think we I think I I think I kickstarted this pretty well. I think so. Okay, so now let's come back after this. We're taking a we're going to take a quick break with the Bill Press Show, and we'll be back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. Good morning, everyone. This is Evan McMorris-Santoro of Vice News, filling in for Bill Press this morning. If you're with us for our first half hour, you notice I was a little late coming in, getting get the ball rolling. But the ball is now fully rolling. We are th- this ball has, is rolling on down the road. This show is m- moving on, so thank you for... Being patient with me for that first half hour as I was getting myself up to speed. Um, joining us in the studio, Ryan Riley of the Huffington Post. How are you, Ryan? I'm doing well. And Ryan is the perfect guest to have because, you know, Peter and I talked in the last half hour about how we had plans for the show today and we had to blow them all up because of Maggie Haberman's story in the New York Times about uh, the president considering firing Robert Mueller. That he had said he wanted to do it and then he. He got, and he got pulled back, right? The thing is, you're a good guest to already have on for that stuff because you've been covering a lot of this stuff. So can you first just talk to us about the idea of what it, what kind of – a like what size deal is it? Small, oh. medium, large deal is Oh, it? very large deal. Very, okay. very large talk deal. Talk to yeah. us about that a bit.
0: I mean, it's huge. I mean, the idea that you're going to fire the special counsel – I mean, the thing is is that it's it just is a really big display of the president's basically political – I, some might call it incompetence. Um, I mean, it's a situation where that would have been a very bad idea, and the, the idea that his lawyer, you know, his the White House counsel, Don McGahn, had to walk him back from the idea of, of firing a special counsel. Is just sort of insane. I mean, that would have been huge. It really actually could have actually pulled some Republicans to the point where it's like, okay, this is a bit too much for us. Like, this is a, this is a little over the line, you know, like right now, like they're willing, a lot of Republicans on the Hill, as we've seen, you know, recently are willing to, you know, sort of run cover um, for the for Trump and the White House and like try to undermine the Mueller probe by, you know, <laughs> Taking attacks at law enforcement that oh, we yeah. rarely don't We're see. We're going to get into that. Yeah,
2: but um, I mean, yeah, this but was suffice a, this to say they're running. As you say, they're running point where they, you know, their his attacks on Mueller have been backed up by a lot of Republicans on the Hill.
0: Yeah, which I mean, it's just it's sort of I mean, but this it's tough to say.
2: idea of firing Robert Mueller that uh, at the New York Times says was actually considered that would have been a bridge too far for those people.
0: I'd, I think it's one. I mean, it's you know, it's tough to say. I th- I'd like to think it would be. You you'd like to think it would be, right? right. I think that you know, you, you would hope certainly that the president of the United States firing a special counsel who is looking into um, his own pre, uh, presidential campaign <laughs> might be a bridge too far for well, some. What's people. interesting
2: about it is now we have a chance to talk. And by the way, Ryan Riley covers all this stuff at the Justice Department for the Huffington Post. He's been doing it for a long time. His reporting is incredibly good on this stuff, and you all should read it and follow it because if you want to know what's happening, like. Routinely, this guy has got like little interesting scoops about stuff that you're like, oh wow! I re- now I know the rest of the story. That's like Ryan Riley's big thing, and <laughs> of the rest of the story. So, going from that DOJ angle that you already that you cover things from there, and you cover these investigations from that point. You mentioned the idea that there are Republicans in Washington, in Congress, who have been doing a lot of stuff to help to undermine this Mueller probe. Right. Let's talk a bit about what these people have been doing. Right. I have been really enjoying um, this sort of turn toward the conspiracy theory that's been happening. And let's just talk it through, right? So what we have is what? We have – You know, there were two investigators that worked for Mueller's probe for a short period of time, and they were having an affair, and they have text messages back and forth. I mean, what – let's – before we get into the claims about the text messages, because everybody's heard about these text messages, can you tell us exactly what this text message story is?
0: Sure. I mean, so essentially this – it's, it's it's important to put this in context, right, because you've got to look back to like, you know, this is before the presidential campaign when everybody thought Hillary going to win. Um, and these were two people who were sort of working on the email, the email probe and actually were involved with, you know, drafting. One of them was involved with drafting um, the message that Comey would go out and deliver that, um, you know, sort of. You know, (laughs) Clinton is now blamed in part for her loss. So they were involved in this investigation. And, you know, you have to remember at the time, which I think is is sort of like tough because you're you feel like you're living in bizarro world. But by every possible measure, the FBI's actions hurt Hillary Clinton more than Trump. I mean, there wasn't even I can't even think of anything that the FBI proactively did that would even remotely have impacted the, the Trump campaign. Um, you have a situation where it's a law enforcement agency that where there are a lot of people who are supportive of Trump within it. Um, you know, maybe that's not as true in the upper echelons in the in the leadership necessarily. I think you've got a lot of, you know, probably um, I think you've got a lot of Kasich fans probably in the, in the upper. I, that's it. how I'd more think of them. We're talking about I
2: mean, right. I mean, they're FBI agents. They're cops. This is not a group that you think is of the radical left. No, well, certainly at, not. At least we can say that.
0: I mean, Lisa Page, one of the um, lawyers, I think she's she's a little bit more, slightly more lefty than uh, probably some of the um, other people there. But I mean, you know, Andrew McKay voted in the Republican primary, like in the where Trump was. The deputy was, FBI director. The deputy FBI director who was who's also now, supposed to be fired. Yeah. Who, I mean, who, who tried, all, <laughs> all tried
2: to get fired. <laughs> apparently.
0: I mean, everybody I tried, Everybody wait. was almost fired or
2: fired I at mean, some reportedly point. also tried to get fired, leading to the current <laughs> FBI director to almost threaten to resign. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, but okay, so we have a, so so this is all ha- so we have a, a, a situation in which the FBI is sort of investigating stuff going on with Hillary Clinton. Yeah, um, it's a sort of political environment. Mm-hmm. It's just, but but the point is, these two FBI agents are texting each other. Yeah, and so they, the background is that they're
0: having an affair, okay. um, which is sort of you know. So they're sending you know text back and forth, and um, you sort of read them all from that perspective, and it's like these are pe- people who are basically just you know chatting back and forth about a lot of different stuff. Um, and so they were talking, you know, like a lot of Americans were about what was happening with the election. That's what they were texting back and forth a lot. So they were, you know, they were sort of live, uh, you know, texting about the DNC, live texting about the RNC and like, oh my God, look, they don't have, <laughs> who are these B-listers that they have up here? Like with some of the stuff that they were saying, um, you know, what, uh, Scott Bayo right? He appeared. Yeah. They were like, Scott Bayo, really? Okay. <laughs> that guy? Yeah. So that's what they were texting okay. about. Um, so it was political commentary, which is all like. A perfectly above board and actually fine except for the whole fair part which is actually probably a violation of FBI regulations but the core part of them um, like just texting about their political beliefs perfectly fine. it's private text messages Maybe they should't be you know I don't know why they were doing it on FBI phones if they're doing it on their personal phones they probably would have none of these messages would have come to light okay um, but perfectly fine for them to be expressing political private political opinions fine. Um, the problem is when you, if there's anything that remotely you know touches the investigation, and of course they do touch on the investigation in some of in some of these texts, um, but I mean overall the entire picture that's been painted of this is sort of just out of whack with what actually says. And people have like you know grabbed these text messages, certain ones of them, and just like called to town with them. Right. So those yeah. facts
2: and evidence, the facts of two FBI agents on the investigations, uh, doing investigations around the, around the election. Texting each other on government phones, mm-hmm. having an affair. Yeah. Okay? This those those are the facts. Yep. That and and also by the way, like like to make fun of Trump a lot. I yeah. mean They make fun of Trump and his campaign. Yeah. That was a thing that they that they that they like to do. Also, to those, be clear, Democrats they
0: made fun of a lot of Democrats. They did. We're not big fan of Bernie. We're not big fan of uh, Bernie supporters. Um, hated Holder uh, for some reason. Um, yeah. I mean. So it,
2: so Eric Holder, Bernie Sanders, yeah. Donald Trump all came under there. Yeah. Those are the facts and evidence, and those have been taken. To create now the notion that we have learned about a secret cabal of anti-Trump forces inside American law enforcement. Yeah. So here's how to think. Tell of this. us about that. So take yourself back to the night of the election, right,
0: and the morning after the election. Um, these are two people who, just like the rest of you know, most of the political class, most of the talking heads, thought that you know Hillary was a shoo-in, that she was going to win, that this wasn't going to go to Trump. So you know they're texting that night. It's like, oh my God, Trump won this place. Um, the next morning, um, (laughs) there's this text from Lisa Page. He's like saying, um, are you even going to send out your calendars? Um, it seems sort of depressing now. Um, you know, maybe it should just be the first meeting of the secret society.
2: By the way, he just, uh, Ryan just, (laughs) just, uh, just, uh, Pull that memory out, and I'm now reading your story. That's exactly what the text message says. You have like memorize these text messages. <laughs> yeah. Are you even going to give out your calendars? Seems kind of depressing. Maybe it should just be the first meeting of the secret society. That's pretty dead-on quote, I think, actually. Yeah. Dead-on? <laughs> exactly what you just said. So she sends this text message to yeah. her boyfriend, Peter Strozik Stru- Struc- Storkst? Yeah. How do you say something it? Something along those lines. How do you say it? Stru- struck. struck.
0: I think it's, I think Struck.
2: Struck. So yeah. the Z is silent. Mm-hmm. Makes sense.
0: I believe okay. not a hundred percent on that. Sure, but, you know. makes
2: sense. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So okay. So she sends her boyfriend from Peter's truck mm-hmm. this text message.
0: Yeah. So the calendar's reference is weird, right? So when I first, re- I it turned. I had when this first started popping up this week, I had this vague recollection of reading it before, and I wasn't sure where. Um, and it turns out this was actually a, so. Basically, DOJ last month it became a little controversy. They allowed reporters to see all the first batch of text messages that came up. So every, you know. All the DOJ reporters were, had sort of access to this, and they could see it. It's an in-camera review, so you have to go into a—you know—you can't take photos, you can't scan it, you can't upload it, but you can like read it and look for stuff that's interesting.
2: Um, so, so they, they took you in a room, and they had pages and pages of printed-out text messages. Yes, to, because these people got it, have gotten in trouble. I mean, Mueller fired them from his investigation, correct?
0: Yeah, I mean, so there's an ongoing in, um, inspector general investigation. Okay, yeah, it's a little bit—it was a little bit weird, I think, or a little bit um, unique, different that. Uh, that certainly reporters had full access to these these texts. It became Democrats, you know, sort of were like raise an issue over it. But I think probably that made it backfire now because now Republicans can sort of spend them whatever they want. And we and, you know, rep- reporters don't have access to the source documents unless they're provided by uh, Republicans. Anyway, but going back to this, basically I remember reading this text and I was like – and I vaguely remembered reading it and it turns out that, yeah, this was in the first batch. And, you know, so the people who had access to that text message and the secret society took a full-on pass on it, you know, every reporter on the DOJ beat, including Fox News. Like, so Fox News – like, a reporter from Fox News saw this text and was like, meh. You know, like and like, you know, because it seemed like so, such obvious joke. And the calendars reference, I sort of read it at first is like, are maybe they're talking about their like their calendars, like what's on your agenda for now, who's you know throw everything off. But in reality, what they're talking about here is actually sort of hilarious. Um, so, so Peter had gotten like because they were working on the early Russian investigation, which at the time Peter did not believe was actually like there was he didn't think there was th- there there. Um, According
2: which, to his text messages again. Again, yeah. He was like, this isn't, he's like, this isn't really going anywhere.
0: Right. Even when the molar probe got set up, which is months and months later after you know Comey's fired and yada, yada, he says, eh, I'm not sure if there's anything there. Okay. Um, so, that, so that sort of throws the whole... Entire story out of the you
2: know right again the idea that he is in a cabal to, to take down Trump he right. thinks that the this investigation is stupid right got it yeah okay.
0: it's, anyway uh, so that would just miss this entire story on its face anyway but the, this like calendar thing and the secret the secret society thing is actually kind of hilarious because when they're working on the early probe he got these um these calendars that Russia makes or like that are made in Russia that feature these what were described to me as beefcake
2: photos of of Putin like oh, doing all it, these manly things doing like on the horse on the with horse. The, the the fishing. fishing. Thing, yeah. in the submarine, yes. like all the good Putin photos. All the good you, Putin you, photos. You, you can get some sort of Putin calendar from the Russian government. Right. Or Russian, Russian you can order yeah. from Russia.
0: Yeah. I actually turned out you can order them one day. I looked it up on Amazon. You know, right now, if you want to order the 2018 calendar, one day shipping on Amazon. On order, <laughs> You know, just throwing it out there. I don't know if you guys have
2: <laughs> sponsorship or what, but you know. <laughs> so this guy struck, he would buy these calendars. Mm-hmm. And he would give them out as kind of like gag
0: gifts? He didn't give them out yet because the idea was after the election and after that crazy period, he had these calendars and like, you know, oh, this is going to be a good one. I'm going to give out these calendars, these Russian calendars. Oh,
2: he was excited to give out this gift.
0: Yeah, because he he thought that, you know. Trump right. wasn't going to win. It was going to be, you know, Hillary, and everyone was going to take a deep breath at the bureau. It was going to be a fun little thing, you know. They're going to, they, there was talk about who was going to have an election, like an after-election party. So uh-huh. I don't know if that's where they're going to get handed out, but possible. Um, yeah, I mean, so people were working on the Russia team. That's a pretty
2: good gag gift. Like that's a pretty yeah, solid one. It's sure. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's okay. I mean, that's fine. That's the, give him a calendar with pictures of Putin. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. So they're going to do that. Yeah. And then. Her text message is saying she can't even give these out anymore. Then yeah, you still going like, to do this. It just seems just depressing because now maybe they didn't know it
0: at this. I mean, at this point, because again, it's like the day after the election. But now it's like, well, I mean, you know, hell, you know, like <laughs> they actually might have had an impact on this election. The Russians
2: you and know? so this it should just be the first meeting of the secret society. She's joking about this party.
0: Yes, and also, I, I mean, yeah, it could be about the party. I'm not positive on the party thing, okay. but like. Secret society like the idea that you would actually write like hours after Donald Trump is elected suddenly like <laughs> the nation's premier law enforcement agency switches into this like, you know, cabal mode <laughs> and is like ready to take down the president elect
2: is just after it had just done all the stuff that they did to Hillary.
0: Right, it's it it's just bonkers. Finished. I mean, it's bonkers. And so, what? But the idea that you seize upon, like that, like that secret society. First of all, that you text about a secret society on a government phone, <laughs> like, like <it's> just...
2: <laughs> okay. So, of course, this 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 outlandish misreading of a text message to suggest that there's a secret society of law enforcement that got no traction anywhere in Congress, right?
0: Oh no, of course not, because
2: that would be dismissed out of hand as ridiculous. <laughs> so, what happened to it? So no, it was all over. Th- I mean, so so this is a thing that now this is part of what the actual conversation is, right? We saw uh, Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. He's talking about the idea that this is actually uh, that this message, this text message, yep. was like this is the smoking, this is the smoking gun. This is it. This is it. Yeah. He since what backtracked are they alleging? Of that. What exactly are they alleging?
0: I mean, you had just, just to spell it out is sort of crazy. I mean, like this is the law and order party, right? This is the law and order president, law and order party. They're alleging that the nation's premier law enforcement agency had a had, was being run by a secret society to somehow first of all the idea that you know like I said the idea that the FBI helped Trump over like or you know that helped um, that hurt Donald Trump and somehow boosted Hillary Clinton is just like completely ahistoric um, but I mean they're alleging essentially a, like a secret society that's what they're saying they're saying that you know oh we have to look into this, this is serious like you know were they really about to you know, try to take down Trump
2: so that's it. So there's so so and, and, and so because of that, that's their suggest, but they're also suggesting that because these guys worked briefly for the Mueller probe, that the Mueller probe itself is also tainted as well.
0: Yeah, which I mean the, the at the time they sent this, the Mueller probe wasn't going. The text messages that they sent about the Mueller probe, you know, weren't as um I mean, yeah, when you had Peter basically saying, Oh, I don't think I don't know if there's a there or there, you know. Right. Yeah. The calendar
2: guy. Yeah. okay, but so let, let me ask you some questions about this that are based on sort of like your knowledge of covering the DOJ for as long as you have. Because one of the things that is sort of like disturbing from these text messages, I mean, is the idea that you have this investigator on investigation who's like, this investigation is crap. I don't believe it. I don't believe we're doing it. Yeah. You know, what, you know what 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 we're doing. People people think it sounds like there's there's um, some tainting there somewhere. Yeah. What is it? How does this work? I mean, are FBI agents supposed to be like not have any opinions about what they're investigating? I mean, explain explain what the actual deal is. Like what. Whether that's actually outrageous or not, it just feels like it is. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> help me I, understand this.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's tough to say because I mean, we we don't typically have access to this type of material, like texting material. This isn't emails. This is like this is this is something that probably a decade, you know, to certainly two decades ago, you wouldn't have been able to see like this isn't this just wouldn't have happened you wouldn't have had these like contemporaneous messages that this would, is like
2: super close personal conversation right it's essentially like you water know, cooler like, chat i
0: think journalist slack messages is the Got like it. right when those like no one wants to see like yeah like <laughs>
2: no, those records
0: like that would be bad like
2: yeah note to myself and make sure we delete all of those immediately before right. they get taken but yeah okay okay but do you think that there's anything here that makes you I mean you know you have reported with skepticism um, about American law enforcement before yeah. and about the FBI and things like that and I wonder if anything in this in these text messages makes you also have some pause about how the FBI works?
0: I think there's some really interesting things in here.
2: Um,
0: I find it fascinating to read the, these messages. Um, I think there's certainly the possibility that there's something there that, you know, we'd want to find out more about. Um, It's not the secret society thing, um, but there's some things there that might, you know, we want to sort of look into a little bit. Um, But the idea that like this is going to take down the Mueller probe, I think is just so far-fetched, or not far-fetched, because I mean, it could. I mean, it could be used to take down the Mueller probe, but like so much of a a leap that you would never see, like especially Republicans do in the course of any other investigation um, where there's obvious signs of bias and obvious signs of, um, you know of of sort of a of spinning an investigation in a certain way uh where that's just fine and all good because it doesn't involve you know the president i mean the, the thing that comes to mind is the j20 the january the inauguration protesters where you had the lead detective on that case like that this came out in court i covered this you know a couple months back in november december this is of
2: course that that sort of mini riot that was shown on television people throwing rocks right. at, at, at police officers, burning that limo down. Right. Yeah,
0: uh-huh. And you had a guy who was like, the lead detective on the case is out there, was tw- not only like, texting in private messages, actively tweeting about how much he hated activists. Like, right, like, he, like, he said, like, some terrible things about activists, um, was still the lead detective on that case. You're not going to hear, like, I mean, that's going to be something that the defense would use, certainly, sure. Like, in a trial, the defense is going to use that. But the idea that, like, no nope, all the the entire case should be shut down. No ne- you never hear that. Never hear that from Republicans, right? You would never like I don't even like I don't even think a lot of Democrats would go there the idea that the entire investigation should be shut down because one dude had like some thoughts.
2: Like No, I mean this is this is generally this is the part that it's basically what I'm asking about because it because it seems to me that like uh we oftentimes think that uh law enforcement is totally has an opinion imp- bias about what they're yeah. investigating. I mean, they, they, they think a person's guilty. Yeah, they, they, that's why. Then we have a trial. That's right, we have a trial after that. <laughs> right. right, so it's like right, right. But the, the, that's the whole thing. Like, but, but that, in this case, he thinks maybe the. It seems like from these text messages, this guy uh, struck doesn't even think the Russia thing is all that big a deal. Right, it doesn't like work. And th- listen, these text messages would be. Great material for, like, you know, a defense lawyer to,
0: you know, pick at. You know, certainly, you know, if this were to ever – if the president were ever on trial, I'm sure that they'd have, you know, a fun time with that. But the idea that it should shut down the entire investigation is just crazy. I mean, yeah, it's it is not something you would hear in, uh, and argued in any other case unless it involved the president of the United States and the leader of uh, the Republican political party.
2: Got it. I mean this is really amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, and just to pivot really quick since you're here, it, let's talk about the DOJ just in general a bit. Yeah. You cover it. You know, you're in there. You know, people over there. You're, you know, you you have sources and things. Um, It seems to me that the DOJ is essentially the most effective uh, part of the Trump administration in many ways, that Jeff Sessions is able to accomplish. Huge amounts of his uh, decades-long political goals uh, using the power of the DOJ. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what – how is the DOJ? Because we hear all about morale all over the city, a lot of uh, longtime federal employees not feeling very excited about working at the EPA, for example, or working at the Department of Labor or whatever. What's the DOJ like right now? How, how, how how's it going over there?
0: I think it's tough. I think for a lot of people, it's it's uh, it's tough. I mean, so the the amazing thing is the idea that to me that um you know that Trump still isn't happy with Sessions. I mean, he should be really thrilled with <laughs> Sessions' work overall. You'd think because he's really enacting you know a lot. Of, he's been one of the most effective cabinet members in terms of you know enacting his agenda in certain ways. Um, you know, I think he's sort of um, blinded by the you know the Mueller probe and that sort of you know clouds his, his view on uh, right. sessions but were that not in play i feel like he should be he would probably be thrilled with you know what sessions has done
2: um i mean just to be clear what has it has done sort of restart the drug war mm-hmm. uh and the sort of uh nascent criminal justice reform movement sort of inside the doj right like what else like what i mean so, it
0: sort of neutered uh, the Civil Rights Division in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, you, I mean, the biggest thing is, like, because it happened so early that we just don't even think of the consequences and there hasn't been this big thing. But, um, I mean, police investigations, right? I mean, the next time, you know, there hasn't been any major incident, but if there is a major incident and there's obviously a police department in need of reform, it's not coming from the federal government. Um, you know, they even tried to back out of a few cases, you know, the Baltimore case and They've sort of done different things with the other cases, but there's not going to be this systematic reform um, of police departments, you know, the next time an incident happens.
2: Just a huge shift to the right. I think, yeah, I mean. Under Sessions of the DOJ. Yeah. He's able to make this happen. In right. a lot of ways, yeah. Um, and you say people who work there, some people are, are are not thrilled. But, I mean, also is, you know, is, the, it, it, I guess it has been effective. You feel, like, you feel like he's effectively been doing this? I mean, that's my, that's my question, is that. The operations mm-hmm. of like are the are things running smoothly over there?
0: <laughs> um, I mean, they don't have a lot of people. Some of the people aren't in place. I mean, they don't have uh, head of the national security division confirmed yet. I mean, they don't have a lot of people confirmed. I think a lot of that's actually sort of surprising at this point that more people haven't gotten through. Um, I think things are a lot of are, are chaotic in certain in certain ways. Um, one thing that you know pops to mind is just how they've had to deal with. The president's tweets and you know that sort of thing in in litigation because that's impacted their their litigation. What do you mean? Uh, so I mean like if the president tweets something about like a case that they have going on like that immediately it's like in a filing you know very very quickly and it like undermines the entire premise of whatever the DOJ is arguing. Um, so yeah, that's something they've had to deal with. I mean chaos. I think there's definitely been. Uh, a certain degree of chaos within the uh, Justice Department. But
2: this days. is what's so weird to me, because on the one hand, you have the fact, like you say, like Sessions is doing a lot of very conservative things that we always sort of assume law enforcement people kind of want, you know, take more of the gloves off, do what you want to do. You're not going to get, you know, we're not going to be at tell, asking you about your tactics and stuff. Yeah. But then on the other hand, you have uh, this administration that seems to be like seemingly at war with the FBI.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you would expect, had it, you know, I think it would been anybody else but Jeff Sessions or you know someone who was in his position where he couldn't really be seen as criticizing the president in any way whatsoever. You would have a more thorough, strong defense of the men and women of the law enforcement agency known as the FBI. Um, but we haven't seen that, which is sort of incredible. I mean, you have the president of the United States undermining. I mean, the FBI has a great reputation. I mean, in comparison to other agencies, you know, through they do a pretty good job with, you know, I mean, you know, you know, people know the FBI, um, they're, you know, they got a good Hollywood thing going. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always skepticism of the FBI, but I remember coming from the left. Yeah, not really coming from no, the right. No,
0: right. <laughs> right, I mean, this is not something you expect. I mean, maybe, expect.
2: maybe, maybe like the right. you are talking about like a like a like a Tim McVeigh type. Right. But like not sort of general Republican no. conversation.
0: No. Right. I mean, a lot of and them are Republicans, right?
2: <laughs> right. And yeah. now they're all attacking the FBI.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you just not expect a Repu- I, if you told me a Republican senator was going to. Suggest a secret society within the FBI. Like, it's such a conspiracy theory that, like, you, if this was a local law enforcement, I mean, imagine a Democrat even doing this on the local level, being like, you know, <laughs> painting this wide picture, this conspiracy theory about a law enforcement agency.
2: So, all right. Um, last thought. Do you think that this is going to derail the Mueller probe?
0: They're going to try to. I mean, that's the whole purpose of this. Okay. Yeah.
2: All right. So, something to look out for. Yeah. Ryan Riley, <laughs> Huffington Post you got to read all of the stuff about the DOJ and what's going on over there because he really knows what he's talking about, and you should read it. Um, this is The Bill Press Show. I'm Evan yes. McMorris-Santoro filling Bill in for Bill, Press and uh, we'll be back.
4: Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks.
2: Show. Good morning. It's Bill Press Show. I'm Evan McMarris Santoro, filling in for Bill. I'm with Vice News. Bill is uh, probably, I don't know, on vacation somewhere, on a boat. I wish I didn't We don't know where he is. Bill is an underground location, uh, Secret Society with the FBI uh, uh, people that we've we learned about with Ryan Riley. Let's get started on the next hour. Peter, nice to have you back in the room. Yeah, man. I thought Ryan Riley was awesome.
1: Well, look, I, he's one of those guys that uh, I wish I could say that we booked to talk
2: specifically about the big Mueller news. But we were, we, we looked really prescient.
1: I, yeah, I'd like to say, uh, as a producer of the show, I think that uh, I was remarkably prescient here mm-hmm. uh, in booking Ryan Riley. We I
2: look, think I was prescient for suggesting so you. You did book
1: suggest us. Ryan Riley. You did suggest. I would Ryan say the Riley. prescience take The prescience
2: goes to me. <laughs> Okay, I think that you, you know, were prescient in agreeing with me.
1: However, it's not exactly a uh, a, a hard game to like. Will there be news about <laughs> Donald Trump's administration and yeah. the
2: FBI on any given day? Also, this text message conspiracy theory thing is really the wildest story wild. I've ever seen. It's yeah. wild. Yeah, it's wild. All right, we got a bunch of other great stuff coming up, but let's talk about some other stuff first. First, there let's talk go. about some news.
1: Hit it. All right.
4: This is the Full Court Press.
1: Just a couple of other stories making news. All right, boy, gosh, I hate it when this happens. Uh, rapper 50 Cent apparently made an album in uh, uh, 2014 called Animal Ambition. All right? Okay. That's not the story. Sure. The story is he agreed to accept Bitcoin payment for the recording of the album, and he just forgot about it. He was just like, yeah, whatever, Bitcoin, whatever, I'll just do this album anyway. They agreed to do Bitcoin, but... Here we are, four years later, turns out he has a $7 million pile of Bitcoin what? all around this album. What? Yeah. That's that, amazing. I, Bitcoin is one of those things, it's like the first thing I think that I just don't understand. <laughs> like, I, like maybe I've aged out of it, or maybe I just like, you know how like my dad was just like, I don't get Snapchat. And I get Snapchat, I don't use it, but I just don't, like... But
2: you you can't sit on a pile of old Snapchats and have $7 million. Apparently not. The point is, he got paid in Bitcoin. Now he has $7 million. Just sat on it. That's incredible. Yeah,
1: he signed an endorsement deal uh, uh, about like. What kind of? Or, or he on a deal like I will get this much Bitcoin for recording this album and
2: like, kind of Bitcoin awareness
1: album. Bitcoin awareness album. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is a shocking story. Yesterday, officials at University of Israel announced uh that they have found a human fossil in a cave in Israel that puts humans in the Middle East one hundred seventy-seven thousand years ago. That's sixty thousand years earlier than we thought. Now. This piece of a jaw that was found in the cave, it looks human. There are what look to be human teeth, and they have to verify that it is human, and they verified the age of the stuff, but it looks to be human, and if the age is correct, that puts us there uh, 60,000 earlier than we—sixty
2: years earlier than we thought. Moving all over the world much quicker than people believe that yeah, it's we nuts, would, man. if it's possible. It's that's nuts. really, uh, 60,000 years, that's amazing. Yeah. So what what is this? so so the next step is they're going to find out if this jaw's really a, a human. jaw. And they're
1: going to find out if it's a human jaw, and then they're going to figure out like it, it was found in a cave, so they're not sure if this was some sort of a dwelling. They're going to sort like start excavating around the area and see if there are other things there, like
2: maybe that person was something else's meal? The yeah, pilot, right. Who I mean, did, that's yeah, who, the are. Anyway, interesting. It's a, that's, that's, that's really amazing. Yeah. That's, really, that's, that's wild. I, it'd be really cool to find out if that's actually true. Because, you know, to know more about that, uh, that early migration of humans is really cool.
1: And one final story. Uh, so, apparently the Guggenheim Museum, the Trump administration asked to borrow a Van Gogh painting from the Guggenheim Museum. Okay. And the Guggenheim Museum said, actually, no, but we do have a piece of art that you can take. It is a gold-plated toilet. <laughs> it's a gold-plated toilet. This is the world's most opulent commode that they have offered to Donald Trump. It's an 18-karat gold toilet uh, called America.
2: All right, yeah, Of course. Because, okay. of course. So because, of course. 18-karat gold toilet called America. Yeah, made, you can have um, that
1: by the artist Mauricio Catalan. Okay. Yeah. You hear about this? This guy? So, anyway... <laughs> So they take it?
2: They did not take it. Oh, oh sad. All right, this is the Bill Press Show. We'll be back Talk. This is the Bill Press Show. We are back. I am Evan mcmorris Santoro of Vice News, filling in for Bill. Um, we're into our second hour now. We're kind of grinding along through a bunch of stuff. And, you know, what we were talking about a second ago was this idea of the White House requesting art from the Guggenheim and the Guggenheim sort of trying to troll them with this gold-plated toilet. Uh, you know, I think it's pretty good. I think it's pretty funny. Um, but it's also interesting that, you know, this is a thing that, the that, uh, I saw some you know, early tweets and stuff. People were freaking out about the idea of the president asking for uh, art from these art museums. But, like, this is a thing that presidents can do. They can ask museums to send them some stuff, put it in the White House. And in this case, I guess the pre- the museums can also uh, refuse them. Um, so, anyway, that's – and I don't know what, uh, what the toilets are made of currently in the White House. I assume they're not gold-plated, though. I don't know. Anyway, joining us in the studio now. Emily Atkin from The New Republic, how are you?
5: I'm great, how are you?
2: I'm doing very well, I'm awesome. doing very well. You missed the story about the 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 art and the gold plate toilet. I'm I sure already knew on about the, that right, story. You're right, you saw it on the internet, I'm sure. Uh,
5: yeah, Um, constantly on the internet.
2: Yeah, exactly, it was, it was, it was very viral, it was yeah. extremely viral. So, all right, well good morning Emily, thank you, and you cover science and the environment for The New Republic. That's true. According to what this says, I, mm-hmm. I know you from Twitter, <laughs> but I'm reading what it says I'm supposed to say about you, which is that. So, tell us some science and environment reporter news. Give us some facts.
5: Oh, God. There's so many facts, What have you working on lately? Well, I just published a story about um, sexual harassment in the science grant-making process. We give—the U.S. government is the biggest funder of science in America. You know, private institutions, philanthropy, stuff like that. But the U.S. government gives, um, I think, a little bit under half of all funding for— scientific research and so i wanted to know what our process was for figuring out whether people we give that money to are accused sexual harassers um, so whether
2: it being an accusation of sexual harassment impedes the flow of taxpayer dollars to your science research well exactly That's what because you're to out. well
5: because like in the wake of the we in the me too movement there's been a, a less less publicized obviously than the hollywood stuff but there's been a lot of cases of um principal investigators, which are sort of heads of research labs, big name scientists have been accused of mistreating the people that they work under. And um, a lot of those don't haven't resulted in any, you know, Title IX convictions, which is the federal law dealing with sexual harassment in federally funded education and federally funded workplaces. Um, But there have been a lot of accusations. Right. So that's sort of a gray area. I wanted to figure out what how we deal with that in grant making. Do we want, you know, millions of dollars going to uh, somebody who has been accused over a number of years of mistreating his students? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that I did find in the case in in the article was that, you know, one case um, at a high profile professor at the University of Rochester who hasn't been convicted of anything, but has been the subject of allegations, sexual harassment allegations for two years is getting over two million dollars. In grants in which he's the lead investigator, right? So I I go through that process, and it turns out we don't really have much of a process in the in the grant making. um, Like it's it's not a factor people can
2: it's not a factor people consider very much when trying to give out these.
5: Exactly we we take into account um, we take into account two things which which is when we're giving a grant which is don't engage in research misconduct right that's something that the federal government defines and that's falsification fabrication. Plagiarism. That's that's it. Um, That research. So research misconduct doesn't include sexual misconduct. Okay, And we also take into account whether or not you're treating your subjects well, your research subjects, whether those are humans or animals, whether or not you treat your colleagues well uh, is covered by different laws outside of the grant making process. So it's not really in there. If that makes sense,
2: it does. It makes total sense. <laughs> so, so I mean, so we're, we're we're talking about a system that is not that again another system. It sounds like um, you know uh, that is separate. Like that's been viewed as separate from doing the research, right? Ex- We've saw a lot of times. We've seen all this stuff. It's like, well, the, there's your work persona and then your per, other persona. So you're saying it's but it's separated. What's been the impact of that?
5: Well, it's un- it's unclear what the impact of that is. I mean. Th- you would think that for, I mean for every case that's publicized Of a researcher Being accused of sexual harassment There's probably 10 to 15 that aren't right, right. So there are probably I would assume People working in Labs under uh, Scientists who may make them feel uncomfortable In certain ways and and We fund those researchers now I don't know Yet I haven't done enough reporting on this to know Yet exactly to be Confident on what the solution should be on this mm-hmm. What I do know is that Uh, The House Science Committee has like launched an investigation trying to ask these same questions, um, trying to get information from our biggest science agencies uh, so that they can start that process of perhaps changing maybe the definition of research misconduct, maybe just changing, um, changing the process somehow to put a freeze on a grant if there's an accusation to notify Uh, the federal agencies, if there's an accusation, you know, it doesn't have to be public, but maybe you get a a freeze or or something like that. I don't know what the solution should be yet, but I do know that people are talking about it.
2: Well, at the basic level, it's another example of, you know, one of these uh, work environments where you probably have a very prominent, famous in the field person at the top, and you know, that person does things like bring in millions of dollars for universities and things like that. And you have to you work under people like that, and 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 as we've seen in public radio and sort of like media, and obviously in in um in entertainment world, other places, that kind of setup where a person is viewed as a very powerful, uh, you know, sort of magic, you know, creator person, uh, male that you know, women who work under them feel like you know they don't have a lot of power to say something. So 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 it seems like in this case. What you're talking about is the idea that maybe that the federal grant process could be used to provide some some more of a voice to people that maybe don't feel like they have a lot of ability to talk at the moment, right?
5: Exactly, and it's really complicated because there is that there is that issue of the scientist being the breadwinner for the university and for the people that that work under him. Science is very hierarchical in that if if you work, you if you're a low level researcher, if you're just starting out, you're very dependent on your mentor and the people above you to give you that affirmation and to give you that recommendation and that experience that's going to take you to the top so that you can eventually get those grants. So throwing that person under the bus, it it harms your career too. Um, And that's something that that needs to be considered. The other thing is that having Title IX be your only mechanism for dealing with sexual harassment in the science process is not great because- It's the university that handles the investigation and the, that is, you know, judge and jury of that investigation. And the scientist is the one that brings in money and fame to the university. So it's, it's really complicated. And I honestly, like I said before, I don't know what the solution is, but I do know that, I do know that I'm like, oh, that doesn't seem great.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does not seem great. Uh, Do you get the sense at all that, um, I, you know, this might be a little bit. Far. I mean, I'm trying to put you on the spot, but do you, but do you get the sense of all the, the like, like that, like universities? What the university reaction to this is? Like, I mean, we're seeing a lot of places that people are starting to maybe rethink a lot of the cultural aspects to how these kinds of things have been developed, right? Like the idea of the vociferous, uh, angry, creative person off on the island with his little staff. People are now realizing that may not be the best thing. To uh, to allow, even though it was a huge part of the creative process before then, do you get the sense that like universities are talking differently about how they're dealing with scientists and how they're dealing with another environment where you have a person at the top who's very powerful and then people have to work under him? and, And, you know, do you have any sense about that kind of conversation happening?
5: I don't yet, and it's only because I saw. I just started reporting on this last week. That's great. So, oh, actually, earlier this week because it's Friday. I, oh, okay. I, I, time moves so slowly. So, five
2: days into your reporting on this, you have not solved <laughs> every problem, find everything out about it.
5: Uh, but yeah, what got you? Uh, what got
2: you into the? In, into you know, have there been women talking about stuff in the sciences a lot? Have we? Have we, Have we? Have we it just it has its own sort of Me Too moment over there. Of course.
5: Yeah. And it, like I said before, it hasn't been as big as as perhaps the Hollywood movement or even some other movements. But there have been high profile stories. There's a uh, organization that I found out about in the wake of this movement called 500 Women Scientists who speak up about um, that was formed to help women scientists have a voice and speak up about how they've been treated in STEM. I mean, STEM. It's no secret that STEM has always had sort of a glass ceiling around it. Right. That we've had gender disparity problems. In in science and mathematics and on all that, so obviously that and science is like I said before hierarchical. Sure. So,
2: male hierarch, a lot of guys hierarchical.
5: There there have been some high profile researchers that have that have gone under, so to speak, uh, in in the wake of this movement, um, and some who are being targeted, and I imagine that there are going to be more. Um, and I got interested in this not only because of that, but because I did see that the House Science Committee. Was undertaking a bipartisan effort to its credit uh, to ask for investigations into the grant making process, and and that that piqued my interest.
2: A professional question, which is, you know, so you're a science reporter, you cover this stuff, and now you and now it's it, now you're talking about sort of the process of science and this way that um, people can have uh, very bad experiences trying to pursue science. I wonder how it's affected the way you cover this thing that you've covered for a while. Like to, like to have this now be part of the conversation. What does it mean for you as a reporter that covers it?
5: Well, it means that no longer am I just covering, you know, the if when cl- how cloud cover is affecting, you know, the global temperatures in the atmosphere. Right, the science beat traditionally. You think about it, maybe. I mean, before the Trump administration, it was much different, right? Um, it was so much more purely science, right? Covering uh, what we now know about. Arctic ice versus Antarctic ice, and this ice sheet broke off, and we now have all this understanding about soil and and this, right? And now all of a sudden, this area has become very political, more so than it used to be. There was always some politics involved, but so scientific integrity and the policymaking process has become a huge part of my beat all of a sudden since the Trump administration came in, something I didn't even think of that much beforehand. But now it's like, well, are we using... The best available science to inform our policy and generally obviously no you know we're not there is no science advisor the, the White House has no science advisor the Office of Science and Technology policy in the White House is it doesn't really exist I mean it, it it's like skin and bones right <laughs> but there's nothing happening yeah um, and so not only that now it the science beat has become almost a general beat, right? Because now we're talking about scientific integrity and policy. We're talking about how people people are treated, uh, sexual harassment, stuff like that, and then also cloud cover and soil, right? Right, so, sure, yeah. So it's broadened. and Well, that's
2: yeah. the thing. You come in here, you have two stories on your plate. That, I'm sorry, you said it's broadened, changed the way you, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it fascinates me just because I think that like a lot of reporters that I know, you know, people who covered entertainment, stuff like this, I mean- this is uh you know this is this is very important stuff and and, and to, to see how it changes the people you know i mean it changes the, 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 the political reporting for sure i mean what i do mostly is political reporting and now it's changed a lot of that obviously there were discussions about sexual harassment and things in politics for a long time but the idea that we you know we're spending a lot of time now trying to figure out where the places are in our political system that allow people like this to fester and keep jobs and maybe Advance uh, and victimize people, and it's interesting because I I just like to ask every reporter that I know, like sort of how they're what they're uncovering. And this is a pretty interesting one, with I mean, and a horrible one with the uh, with the science thing.
5: Well, it makes there's something different every day.
2: Yeah, I guess that's right. Well, that's the thing. It's because not only you come in here with this story about um, uh, sexual harassment in science and how that relates to maybe possibly the grant making process, you also have a story about the doomsday clock. So like you have a very varied beat. (laughs)
5: Yeah, the, I love the Doomsday. I, like, love and hate the Doomsday Clock.
2: <laughs> well, like, okay, good, because I feel the exact same way about the Doomsday Clock. I don't – this is the – like, I ever since being a little kid, this is the silliest thing. It's like, okay, so what – it's just a big – It's, it's just, they move the hands. Why don't you tell me about what the Doomsday <laughs> Clock – what we should know about it?
5: I love the Doomsday Clock. It's Now it feels like it's every year, but you sometimes it's, like, I think 2009 they unveiled the new Doomsday Clock. 2012 they unveiled the new Doomsday Clock. Now, this one, now it's two minutes to midnight, and that means midnight is the apocalypse, right? And it's the, <laughs> and that used to be, you know, just how close we are to nuclear apocalypse, uh, apocalypse, but now it's how close are we to, like, maybe nuclear apocalypse, maybe climate change apocalypse, maybe cyber attack apocalypse, just, like, plethora of apocalypse <laughs> types of things. Zombies. I, zombies. As we discussed earlier <laughs> in the show,
2: this crockpot thing from this I mean, This Is Us show.
5: I mean, listen— it is. It is serious. The scientists who who do the doomsday clock are serious there. Can I
2: ask you, though, is it really that serious? Because Has it ever been like shorter than 10 minutes? I mean, it's like this thing is.
5: Well, that was their mistake from the start. I think that there has been like 15 minutes to midnight before, but that was their mistake from the start that they that they gave themselves only 15 minutes to start with. And then because.
2: Oh, is that it? Right. It's, it's not a full clock. Well,
5: a... so if it's getting really, what's important is the relative distance to midnight. So okay. if it's from last year, we've gotten thirty seconds closer to midnight. You know, I talked to uh, Lawrence Krauss, who wrote the Physics of Star Trek, who is the you know famous cos- cosmologist and physicist who who uh, heads up the Bulletin of uh, Atomic Sciences sponsorship, cool. and he does this Doomsday Clock, whatever. Cool. And he was saying, what's important is not the number. Two minutes to midnight is not the number. That's not important. What's important is the relative distance from the last time we unveiled it. Has it gotten, have we gotten closer to ending the world or further away from ending the world? And so he says closer, closer because last last year was two and a half midnights,
2: midnights. minutes. (laughs) Minutes, two and a half minutes. That's fine. <laughs> two and a half minutes to midnight. Two and a half minutes. But this is what I'm saying. Even you have a hard time. Like, okay, like I'm not. <laughs> listen, I'm not. I'm, I'm not brought you here to defend the Doomsday Clock. But now, come on, defend the this Tuesday thing clock.
5: is like
2: kind of dumb, right?
5: I mean, if you read my article, as that interview with, with Lauren Strauss? My first question is like. Look, man, <laughs> this is a clock. It's on the wall, right? Imagine you have a clock on the wall and the hand is ticking, but it's really only ticking within the 15-minute zone. And sometimes it ticks forward and sometimes it ticks back. You never know which way it's going to tick. Sometimes it's, and you think it's going to go to 12, but it never really goes to 12. And I said, doesn't that clock suck?
2: <laughs> <laughs> what did he say?
5: He laughed for a little while. And and then, it's this relative and distance was, thing. Yeah, and he was like, listen, it's it's a symbol. It's It's a symbol that has had resonance and we do it. To get people interested in the very real threat of nuclear proliferation people for some reason he he was really serious about this he was like people don't care about nuclear war for some reason anymore right now it hasn't been two minutes to midnight since uh since the cold war since we first started testing nuclear weapons and he's like and he said you know there are people saying that we are even in more danger of nuclear war than, than then, and people just don't want to listen to that. People don't care, and so the clock, he feels like, is an effective tool to get people talking about it, and look what's happening.
2: We're talking about it. Yeah. It totally worked. I mean, so the, so, tell me, how does it get set, the atomic clock? Who, do, who makes this decision?
5: It's like a large group of scientists who are on the board of the bulletin.
2: Okay. And, uh, so, and they take like those 30 second increments. Like this is all very serious to them. This
5: is very serious to them and it is what what Lawrence told me is that it is completely arbitrary. This is not scientific cuz he he told me cuz I, you know, I pressed him and I was like what is the accuracy level of this? What's your methodology? How do you calculate? Well, it'd be He's hard
2: like, to know if it's accurate unless there's an actual apocalypse, right? That's exactly. the only way you know it's actually right. And
5: he was just like, "You are ascribing a lot more to this than is actually there." It's we sit in a room for a long time, we debate, and then we come up with with what we think is the right number. You know, it's it's a lot of people with different interests. It's not scientific. It's arbitrary. But we are smart people, you okay. know. Like maybe believe us. And I there's I think that there's merit to that. He's very he's much smarter than I am.
2: So the idea of this is that they look at the world around us. They mm. look at the proliferation of nuclear weapons. They look at some policies are being made, I assume. And they, they look at
5: who's saying what on Twitter.com.
2: Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And then they say, okay, this is actually bad. Like this could have very yeah. dire consequences.
5: And and the and the point that they really want to make is that the world is getting more dangerous. That's what they want to make. They don't want to say, like, oh, crap, the apocalypse is going to be tomorrow, you know? They're trying to say it is more dangerous today than it was last year, and last year was more dangerous than it was the year before. And what they also do, to their credit, is they, they say a bunch of things that you could potentially do to make it less dangerous. Okay. Right? And that's what their big press conference is for, mostly. They say, it's two minutes to midnight. Here's what we can do.
2: What do we do? What, what are we supposed to do now?
5: I don't know. There's a bunch of things. <laughs> 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 I think I think the first thing is shut down Twitter.com. Okay, shut down Twitter.com.
2: I think, I think that makes sense.
5: Just abolish the internet. Uh... I think if you shut down Twitter.com,
2: you might move the, you could move the clock back to like 30 minutes to minutes. Seriously. Like and I, then, think, I think right there you could just go ahead and do it.
5: And then you'd have all this real estate to work with yeah. instead of having to be like, because next year it's going to have to be like one one and a half minutes to midnight, or maybe you have to work in like, you know, five second increments. Like,
2: but like, if I'm watching, I mean, so with this guy is saying, so if I'm watching at home and I watch them say, okay, now it's less than one minute to midnight, I shouldn't, like, I'm not, this is not, a, I shouldn't go buy a bunch of duct tape, like, it's like, or, or whatever, like, I shouldn't, like, get my readiness kit.
5: Right. I, mean, I shouldn't,
2: like, go buy water, duct tape.
5: Well, what Lauren said is you can do whatever you want. <laughs> But but he said he said that the clock should get – he said – because what I told him also was I was like, listen, I know the apocalypse is coming. I read the news every day. Why do I need this clock to just freak me out even more?
2: I love that you got into it with this clock. I've been wanting to get into <laughs> it with this clock forever. I love that you did this.
5: I – this I excuse. was really happy he let me do it. This is like
2: it. really hard hitting. A I very hit important you so much. To me personally. Like to yeah. me personally. I did somebody finally took him to task over this clock.
5: I was like, listen, Lawrence. <laughs> <this> <laughs> freaking clock. He he was a really good sport about sure. it too. Okay. Um, but yeah, he was he was just like he was like, listen, if you already know there's an apocalypse, I don't see why it should bother you that that we're just talking about it more. Right. You know? And I was like, right. fine. Well,
2: <laughs> the thoughts that these guys are talking about, this clock thing, which is kind of, I mean, I, I, I editorially comment, I think it's silly, but the, but the clock thing, is it reflective? I mean, are these just like a bunch of sort of like doom and gloom scientists or is it reflective of what a lot of other scientists are saying? No, these are not. These are
5: not just like a bunch of weird crackpot scientists who are coming out with the doomsday clock and you know trying to spook us, right? These are these are smart people, and they they are, and this is these are the scientists that first warned us about the dangers of nuclear weapons, right? They're the ones that try to come to us and say like this is this is bad, right? You know. And so, that
2: extent, it actually is a very meaningful thing in terms of the fact that these guys who know what they're talking about are reflecting a sort of general scientific community feeling that things are not going well. Because it's not just like
5: physicists that are in the room talking about this, it is climate scientists as well. And I mean, I cover the climate beat, I see that that situation is not getting any better. And if you're factoring that in along now, along with nuclear weapons, then I would say, yeah, it is worse than it was before.
2: Right. You know, um,
5: the the climate situation isn't isn't great. Um, They factor in the threat of geoengineering, which is, you know, for the unacquainted, literally altering the makeup of the atmosphere so that we don't um, so that we can take some carbon dioxide out or block some sunlight so that the climate doesn't change. And if you've ever seen any movie ever, you know that that has the potential for a bunch of awful consequences. Terrible idea. And, you know, that. That idea is moving forward in research, um, and mm-hmm. so as when that moves forward, we either get closer to apocalypse or closer to saving the world, depending on your, on how you think about that's it. It's
2: always how it goes in those movies, though. The guy always thinks he's going to do the right thing, and then he.
5: Have you even seen Snowpiercer?
2: I've yeah, no I've seen it.
5: Yeah, that's yeah. a geoengineering movie. They're on the train because they try. They're on that fast-moving train because they scientists tried to geoengineer the climate, and then it turned into like an ice apocalypse by accident. And they're like, oops, I guess we all live on a class warfare train now.
2: <laughs> I wonder uh, – it would be nice if they if the train went by a frozen doomsday clock, just <laughs> locked it one minute to go. It might. Anyway, it, it should. Um, uh, any, what else? What else you got for me? Well, Science.
5: totally different, which a lot of people – happen to be really interested in, which I'm so I'm so surprised sometimes on what people are interested in and not interested on like the general like environment and science speak. But people are really interested in, in the solar tariff decision that Trump just made. Yeah. To place uh tariff this is his first major trade decision, obviously, but it was he made a decision to place the thirty percent tariff on imported uh solar goods. So this the stuff that makes solar panels and, you know, allows us to have solar energy here. Yeah. Um so that was a big news story. I don't know. Do you know much about that?
2: I know a little bit about it. I know that the president has been trying to make a big uh, push on trade for a while now. And, uh, you know, he, he's he been talking about tariffs and everything for years. I've been covering them forever. And uh, this idea of trade tariffs, he really likes this idea. He thinks it's great. And so now he has now his two first groups that get these tariffs are washing machines and solar panels. And what we've seen is that washing machines are already going to go up in price, according to uh, foreign-made ones. According to, like, I think the Korean company LG said they're going to raise their prices of their um, washing machines fifty bucks or something like that. So, what 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 are the what is the feeling of what the impact of this solar panel decision might be?
5: I mean, it's almost it's almost the same. Solar panels, the cost of solar panels are going to go up. Right. We have about 40 percent, at least 40 percent of the solar panels that we use in the United States right now are made in China. And Chinese solar panels are super cheap. And that's why uh, U.S. manufacturers, some U.S. manufacturers of solar panels. Are pissed off about that right because they're like that's so cheap i can't compete with these really cheap solar they panels. they felt like it was like
2: solar panel dumping going on basically these guys are like undercutting them
5: exactly the chinese government um heavily subsidizes solar panel manufacturing because they're really into solar energy and investing in that uh-huh. um and then obviously they have cheaper labor uh they don't have as has good environmental standards As we do here, so it's just going to be manufacturing. Is is the solar
2: panel thing going to be a big, going to have a big impact on the solar industry? This tariff,
5: yeah. I mean, the solar, the solar industry groups in in America are like, please, they were like, please don't put a tariff on these solar panels because whereas it does impact some manufacturers and that is a real concern, the cheap solar panels from China really increase demand for solar in the U.S. Right? If you can get solar panels cheaply. You can install them on your house. You can utilities didn't want not literally natural gas utilities, mostly based like utilities, mostly based in fossil fuels, didn't want these tariffs because they were seeing how great it was to diversify their systems with solar panels and how cheap it was to get panels from Chinese manufacturers. Right. And so that's why we've seen that's why one in every 50 new jobs. And, you know, the last year was a solar job. Right. Um, and that's why you've seen, like, huge increases in solar energy usage and demand in the U.S. That's partially—it's about a lot of reasons, but it's partially because we have cheap panels. And, and so— now they're going to go up in price. Now they're going to go up in price. Uh, it, it'll probably take a few years for it to level out. Demand is—demand, what the solar industry groups say, is that demand is going gonna, is gonna to go flat. It's not going to keep rising in this awesome way that it has been. It's going to go flat, which I've heard good arguments for for it going. But Got it. Yeah. So Okay,
2: so okay, so maybe one fifty eight then on the Doomsday clock with these solar panels. Exactly. Uh, Emily Atkin from the New Republic, uh, you're very cool. That was really fun to talk oh, about yeah. the clock <laughs> with you. Thank you for coming in. Uh, I'm Evan McMorris-Santoro from Vice News filling in for Bill Press. This is the Bill Press Show. We'll be back. Same
1: great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash
2: Show. Good morning, 835, we're coming to the home stretch of the Bill Press Show. I'm Evan McMorris-Santoro, filling in for Bill. I'm from Vice News. You can follow me on Twitter at Evan EvanMcS. And our guest for this next little bit of the show is great, Ted Hessen from the Politico, the Politico, I still call it. Um And uh, you talk about immigration, and you can follow him at at Ted Hessen, H E S S O M. So, all right, Ted, we talked at the very beginning of the show. When I first walked in, I came in a little bit late this morning, and, you know, on my mind was this uh, White House framework for immigration, because I mentioned to the audience that um, for my show that I'm on, the Vice News Tonight on HBO, that I would maybe be doing a piece for tonight's show about this. I'm not that up to speed on it. You know much more about it. So can you talk to us a bit about the White House has now laid down what it wants to do or what it will vote for when it comes or what it will support when it comes to this Dreamer wall deal they kind of want. So what are the sort of broad strokes? Tell us what's going on.
3: That's right. Um, Well, actually, the president kind of gave us a sneak preview on this on Wednesday night when he dropped in on a meeting with reporters at the White House. I don't know if you caught that, but uh, reporters had been there to meet with another senior White House official. Trump dipped in, and he actually unveiled some of the details that the White House is willing to support in an immigration deal. Um, they, they formally released that yesterday, and it's really built on four key pillars. And uh, those are, first of all, you mentioned the dreamers, right? Uh, young, undocumented immigrants who came to the U.S. as children. Um, this would actually offer a path to citizenship for about 2 million uh, of those of people in that status. Um,
2: Which is more than we usually talk about. Usually we're talking about 800,000 that signed up for DACA. That's what we've been talking about before this.
3: That's right. I mean, the president has only really t- spoken about people who are in the DACA program. So th- this is actually a big jump. It's adding about a million more people to that tally. Um, and, you know, on top of that, it would be a path to citizenship in eight to ten years, which also is more than he's spoken about. It wasn't clear if he would actually endorse that or just some sort of legal status for, uh, for people who came illegally. Um, so on top of I mean, the, the first thing is the DACA piece. And the second piece, obviously, will be the border wall. And the president is, is asking for about twenty-five billion dollars uh, to fund the wall, which is obviously a lot more than what has been on the table in the past, and and you know would have to be part of maybe a broader deal to go forward. So
2: those are the two big. You said there are basically four big pillars. Oh yep, and, and so the, we and have the other the, two.
3: Uh, oh. Yep, the other two are restricting uh, family-based immigration, so reforms to the, the legal immigration system. Um, that would be pretty radical. I mean, some people have calculated uh, the president backed one bill that would have cut legal immigration in half over 10 years, Um, and and this is along those lines. It would essentially say that instead of being able to sponsor a range of family members, people would only be able to sponsor their spouses or their minor children. Um, And then the last piece is something called the diversity visa lottery, uh, which has been in the news quite a bit and is essentially a lottery that gives out 50,000 visas each year to countries with low rates of immigration to the U.S. And that's that's been a big target of Republicans and a big target of President Trump um, because they say that it's not the best way to run the immigration system, that it shouldn't be a lottery, and that visas should go to the people you know who deserve them the most and not just a random lottery.
2: Okay, so uh, for the... Left a a a, a, a large uh, pathway to citizenship option for a large number of uh, uh, of, uh, of dreamers, bigger than was expected. For the right um, stuff, like the visa lottery thing and uh, the uh, family reunification slash chain migration thing. All right, so it seems like it's got some compromise to it. Well, how's it been? Re- how's it been
3: received? It's, on the Republican side, fairly well. Uh, it remains to be seen. I mean, uh, uh, you have two sides, right, the Senate and the House. And in, among Senate leadership, um, it seems like Mitch McConnell is willing to bring a bill to the floor in the next couple weeks that actually has these principles in it and would deal with it. Um, one of the biggest immigration hawks in the Senate, Tom Cotton, uh, came out in support of it last night. He said it was humane, but he also said it was responsible. Um, it's unclear how the House is going to deal with it. Uh, the, there are many re- lawmakers in the House, Republican lawmakers, who are just no amnesty and don't want to see any kind of citizenship for Dreamers or anyone else who came to the country illegally. Um, on the flip side, you have Democrats, and uh, they did not receive this well last night, and that goes that that's across the board. Um, Nancy Pelosi in the House said, "You know that, that this is basically holding Dreamers hostage, and you know it's a shameful way to go forward." Um, you had Luis Gutierrez tweeted out that um, the border wall at $25 billion might as well be uh, – they might as well build a giant middle finger and point it towards Latin America because it would be cheaper. So and, he's a no. Message. Yeah, pretty clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, they, they, they kind of came out uh, – there's there's few Democrats in the House that will support anything that's throwing $25 billion at a border wall, uh, much less these other provisions to, to – Pretty um, significantly reform the immigration system and cut back legal immigration.
2: Yeah, cut the legal immigration. So, um, does this sort of mean that this nascent kind of bipartisan thing we saw building up? You know, we all watched. Uh, you know, Dick Durbin and Lindsey Graham and 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 Jeff Flake, like you know, running all over Washington trying to keep the shutdown from happening. And you know, those are our sort of guys who we're following um, for this. Does this have any effect on that?
3: I think it still moves forward and they are still negotiating. And actually, they stood their ground yesterday. And Jeff Flake said that, you know, the Senate is still going to be working out their compromise, that this doesn't dictate where they're going to go. Um, it's, it's another voice, obviously, in the equation. Um, I think that from the Democrats' perspective, perhaps they're coming out against the president's um, package so that they can push it further left and more in their direction and that maybe a final compromise will contain some of these things, uh, but not all of them or may- maybe have some of them but in a different form. Um, so I-, I think I do think negotiations will continue as you know on February 8th, um, Congress needs to fund the government again. So there may be discussions again uh, you know around this as we lead up to that.
2: Based on your coverage and your reporting on all this, um, does this deal? Did it surprise you, this the, the list of White House suggestions? I mean, in one way or the other. I mean, did, did it surprise you that it was sort of more Democrat, Democratic-y than you expected or more Republican-y than you expected? I mean, put it, help us understand what it is that this is in political context.
3: There were a few surprising pieces here. One was the scope of how many people would be legalized uh, under the president's plan. He's only really spoken about DACA, which is about 800,000, 700,000 people enrolled in that program. Um, and now to say he's gonna, going to consider two million people, that, that's a significant difference. And truthfully, it's opening him up to criticism from some of his base. Um, some immigration, anti-immigration, well, we'll say groups that want to limit immigration and cut immigration sure. um, came out against this plan. And, the, and, and one grassroots, or, grassroots organization, Numbers USA, said that they're actually going to mobilize against it if the president moves forward with it.
2: And Numbers USA wants the Dreamers deported.
3: I think they they would perhaps take some—I mean, I don't want to speak on their behalf, but I think there's a possibility they would take something else, but citizenship would not be an option. And there's another piece they don't like here, and that has to do with the backlogs, the immigration backlogs. So the president has said he wants to restrict family-based immigration, but— he did say in, in the proposal, or the White House said, that they would clear what they call the backlogs, which is quite a few people who are waiting for entry into the U.S. and would mean, essentially, that this policy would continue for a decade. Um, so I think from the perspective of an immigration hawk, they might be saying, well, you're saying you're getting rid of family immigration, but it's still going to, going to continue for a decade how hard would it be for someone else down the road to just put it back in place?
2: So it's so it's already it's people who are grandfather your grandfather. If you're already in the system, you stay in the system.
3: That's what the that's what the White House has and
2: proposed. that and that seemed surprising to you as
3: that, well. That is surprising because it it is a it is a concession to um, perhaps Democrats or even moderate moderate Republicans who didn't want to see these family based categories erased.
2: But it seems to me the other part of it that's interesting is that it also sort of effectively shows how. This debate has changed, and the goalposts have changed to such a degree. And we're not talking about just wall uh, for uh, dreamer um, legal status. We're talking about actually changing this legal immigration system um, in a way that I don't know that people knew they were getting when they sort of at the outset of this whole debate.
3: That's right. I mean, back in 2013, the last time that Congress really moved forward with a major immigration proposal. Um, The Senate passed a bill that would have done some of these things, um, but it also would have legalized 11 million undocumented immigrants who who were in the country. So it was much broader in scope in that regard. It it dealt with legal immigration. It would have boosted legal immigration and not cut it under the president's plan. So that's just moving in a completely different direction. Um, So there's a question. I I think the White House is... uh, firm about where they're going on these four points, and, and they back this idea of lower immigration, cutting the diversity lottery, uh, visa, uh, things along those lines. Um, in Congress, I think there's less support from it, for it, and that's uh, certainly Democrats and amongst many uh, moderate Republicans as well.
2: What are you going to look for to give you some indication of whether or not this has any, you know, if this getting off the launch pad or not?
3: Well, I think we have uh, a few weeks. Um, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said that he'll bring a bill to the floor, and I guess that will be a test of, first of all, can he actually do that? Um, can can he get a some sort of bipartisan compromise together, um, or does he even go a bipartisan route? Um, and if he does put it up for a vote, um, who stands behind it? I mean, I think the Senate will be the first hurdle, uh, and getting a bill through there could be hard enough. Um, turning then to the House would be much more challenging because you have— on one hand, uh, the possibility of getting no Democrat, no Democratic support if it's going to throw 25 billion dollars at a border wall, um, and then on top of that, uh, the question of of then will immigration hawks in the House say, "Well, we're no amnesty, and we don't want to give on this either."
2: And they can derail this whole thing because of the Hastert rule, as long as they're operating under this 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 idea that in order to bring a bill to the floor. The Republican majority says we have to have a majority of our majority has to support the idea. So even though you might have a situation in which you have, um, you know, you could build a sort of bipartisan. We've seen this before. Right. This is what happened in 2013. And things. We had this idea that you could pass some of this stuff, but um, there's that sort of group of Republicans that just won't get on board. You're Steve King's and such. They're just, they're, they're just not going to come around.
3: Yeah, an interesting dynamic here, too, is when you speak to the um, Dreamer activist groups, and I was, I was speaking to someone yesterday from one, and they're still in favor of what they call a Clean Dream Act. Uh, they really are not backing the idea of str- uh, stricter immigration enforcement, of uh, funding um, ICE agents and more deportations and cutting future legal immigration. To them, that that just seems... Um, anathema to, to what their ideology is and their ethos. Um, so I think the interesting part would be Republicans trying to push a compromise to, to legalize Dreamers that maybe Dreamers themselves are not openly behind as well.
2: That's interesting. And, uh, you know, but I, I, we have heard some groups, right, say that they're interested in like that they're, they, they'd be OK with border security or things like that. Are based on your understanding? I mean, is, is is any of this like good policy? Should we have you know more? I mean, is is this like is
3: there a is there a, a a sort of like need for a lot more border security things like that? Well, I mean, border security. I think there is bipartisan support for it. Yeah, I, I, I would need is is obviously relative. I mean, we know that the number of um, people caught crossing the border has reached the lowest levels in, in the last year or so uh, that it's been in the history of them recording the, those numbers, in the recent history, modern history of them recording those numbers, uh, we'll say recent decades. Um, so in that regard, border security is better than, than ever before. Right. Um, so the question is, could it be even better? Uh, perhaps. Uh, but, uh, but when you're talking about $20 billion, uh, you might think of other ways to use that money. Um, Even people who support border security don't think necessarily a wall across the U.S.-Mexico border is is a good way to use your money and that there's smarter ways and more efficient ways to use it. Um, That's one piece. The other piece is the cutting legal immigration, which in in a way is even more controversial. Um, I think that it's it's strange to see a Republican backing this because the the idea – most economists would say that immigration fuels economic growth – and I think that's you know I don't think that's contested. And and even the folks um, Tom Cotton, for instance, in the Senate, who's backing a bill to to cut legal immigration in half, isn't trying to say that it's going to grow the GDP. Um, that that's not the argument here. They they pretty they they can acknowledge it won't, and, and that it would actually significantly reduce it. Um, but what they're saying is it's cultural, and that you know I I heard Tom Cotton said to me at one point. Um, we could have the entire country of Bangladesh move to the U.S., and that would grow our GDP. But would we do would we do that? Um, and I think the, the, the point you know being made is that the United States is a country maybe that should have closed borders and shouldn't be inviting so many people in.
2: And that's a, a driving force of this debate. That exact that comment that you're, that commentary that you're talking about, that idea from Tom Cotton that you're talking about,
3: and but but he's backing this this plan. Um, he's backing Trump's plan, and and, and, he, and Trump has endorsed his bill as well. So I think on that idea of cutting legal immigration, they, they see eye to eye. Um, and truthfully, from his perspective, he's probably feeling he's giving a little um, because this the White House plan also has this legalizing uh, dreamer piece uh, for two million people.
2: This legal immigration cut. Guys like Tom Cotton have been talking about it for a long time. Is it just coming to fore because we have Trump as president and he's able he, and he's in like and he's on board with it? I mean, or has it sort of picked up speed because it is interesting? I mean, I never really remembered hearing a lot about legal immigration cuts um, until like this year.
3: Yeah, I, I think I don't that's know if right. As you, but no, I think that's right. I think uh, it's still a, a small minority of lawmakers who like the idea of this, um, and the and you know, in the White House. And you have you have an ally in Trump over uh, over there. Um, I think part of the reason is the economic piece um, for, for Republicans and for conservatives that it doesn't make sense to them to have a immigration policy that essentially would shrink GDP, uh, make it harder to find labor. Um, you know, I, th- I th- what, what I understand is that um, the population growth in recent years in the. US is largely due to the fact of new immigration to the country. So the idea to think that perhaps we could be at a negative population growth I think would be a little um, surprising or, or you know something that, that Republicans would not necessarily get behind. And then from the Democratic perspective, um, I think they would just they support immigration also as an ethos and as sort of a cultural value of people coming to the US and strengthening it and growing it.
2: Do you have a sense at all of whether we're in a home stretch of this debate that might actually end with something? I mean, I oftentimes think about just um, the dreamers that I've spoken with and the advocates of dreamers that I've spoken with, and you know, you can um, talk about uh, whether or not it's good th- what they if that they want you know th- for them to get uh, legal status or not or whatever. But there's definitely a frustration—the fact that like they like to know one way or the other, right? They've been waiting for a long time to figure out what the government's going to do about them. Um, do you, does, does it feel to you like we're in the end of that waiting period for them?
3: It, not necessarily. Yeah. Um, we, when you look back, the Dream Act—I uh, w- actually was on the Wikipedia page for it um, earlier this week. That's not where I do my reporting. Yeah, it, it's it. understood. Um, <laughs> and, and I saw that it was uh, first introduced in 2001. Uh, by Orrin Hatch and, and Dick Durbin. And when you think about that, you're talking 17 years of essentially trying to get the same group of people legal rights here. Um, that, that's almost two decades. And, you know, you're talking about children basically growing up during this fight. And, and you know, um, it, it's not this is not new. And we've kind of been through this every few years and the attempts to get on the same page with it. Um Perhaps they cracked the code this time, uh, and maybe Trump uh, kind of bulldozing in here and, you know, uh, asking for big big uh, security enhancements on his side will help push the debate forward, I can't say for sure. Um, But I can say I guess we've been here a few times, and uh, we've seen things fall apart.
2: So your feeling is that, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. when do you think we'll know if that's true? I mean, yeah, I, mean I know you mentioned the idea of McConnell is going to put the bill out, but like, have we heard from Durbin yet? Do we know what their Democrats are? I mean, Democratic House Democrats are pretty much already saying that they don't like this idea, sort of like uh, progressives. Yeah. Do you know when we're going to, when do you expect we're going to sort of see a formal response? One of the things I read yesterday was that um, the White House put this plan out in such a way... That uh, even though it's supposed to be a bipartisan, you know, something to bring everybody to the table idea, the Democrats weren't really aware of it. Right. Like it should have went like they sort of briefed a bunch of their conservative allies and told the media and guys like Dick Durbin didn't know about it until they read about it in the paper. Right. Is yeah. that true? Um, do, you, do you have I, you heard that?
3: I, 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 I'm not sure about okay. that. OK, 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 OK. It, okay. Yeah.
2: But I mean, like, regardless, that kind of thing. Uh, the point that was being made, was, I think it was by Durbin's comms guy, was that it made it harder for them to have a, you know, be ready to go with a response. But now this is this is, this is is the day when people are going to be responding to it. Um, what are you looking for today?
3: I think – well, we got a bit of it last night, right? I mean we sort of saw where, where people stood. I think really this is um, not going – I mean it could be resolved quickly, but <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think there's also the question of what else does Congress have to debate right now, right? There's not necessarily another major issue on the table Um the White House has talked about doing infrastructure, still hasn't put out an infrastructure plan. It t- talked about doing entitlement reform. That seems a really long way and, mm-hmm. and maybe a long shot. Um, and in a vacuum, if there really isn't something else on the agenda to work on, they're already knee deep in immigration. I think they'll keep plugging away at it and pushing for, for something um, You know, until they, until they find resolution or find something else to, to work on.
2: Do you have any sense that the shutdown put Democrats in a better or worse position in terms of making this argument uh,
3: on Capitol Hill? I think it put them in a worse position, and I think most people I've spoken with um, feel the same way. I I think that they held that shutdown threat as uh, a possible card and a little bit of leverage to use against Republicans, and obviously the fact that they went went in and, and allowed the shutdown to go forward but only held the line for three days or so, um, gave the sense that maybe they were in over their head with with letting it go forward to begin with, and and that maybe it was not, not the best idea. Um, so I think you know I, I don't think Democrats were blamed. <laughs> well, but, yeah, this isn't the last uh, shutdown, right? We're, yeah, of course. We're on for so long, and, and everyone you know was on cable news. Yeah, which, and, which, and which, yeah,
2: which yeah which 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 what, why, why I'm asking about the Hill specifically because like it's a blip in terms of like it's a blip. It happened over the course of a weekend. I happened to be in Pennsylvania doing another story while this was going on, and I. You know, I was trying to desperately pull people and be like, what do you think about this shutdown? You know, Pennsylvania swing state, you know, what do they think? And they're like, I don't know. I don't know. I guess it's bad. But they, 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 they didn't see any effects of it. They didn't know about it. It was over a weekend. People were watching football, whatever. But in terms of like the Hill now, do, you know, is there any sense that like, I mean, Republicans are like, hey, we got these guys. We got these guys. By the, like they, they got to play ball now. They played their card and they can't do anything else.
3: I I wouldn't go that far, but I would say that um, it it may weaken their position because it takes away that threat. I mean, that being said, um, they do still have to reach an agreement on a spending deal, right? So even if, uh, I know Dick Durbin has said, or or some senior uh, Democrats have said, that they're not going to do immigration as part of the spending bill, so they don't want those packaged together anymore, So in a way that could alleviate the idea of another shutdown. But at the same time, they can still use that bill as a negotiating uh, tool, and uh, they can agree to things to go into the spending bill that could maybe help them move forward on an immigration uh, negotiation as well.
2: Yeah, that's right. It's actually something we were supposed to talk about a little bit, which is that the the, the, the Senate Democrats did say yesterday uh, that they're not going to tie the DREAM Act to uh, budget negotiations next time around. They're going to... Um, uh, Durbin said, we're viewing immigration and spending on separate terms because they're on separate paths. So that's sort of suggesting that this deal they made after the last shutdown to get their uh, vote on the floor that uh, McConnell's promised them is currently enough for Democrats. And are just going to go ahead with budget stuff. So that might, I guess, changes the debate, the, the nature of the debate in that way. Um, well, this is really – this is just such an interesting topic because it's just fascinating to me. That, you know, this has been a quagmire, political quagmire, for so long over an issue that polls so well to just do something about. It's quite fascinating to watch it. Um, I Has this been like the like the salad days of your political time to watch like this, to see all these pieces and parts just move so quickly in such a short period of time right now about this?
3: It is pretty stunning. I mean, it's stunning, uh, just like you mentioned, um, the strong support for legalizing DREAMers and the fact there hasn't been action taken. I mean, the fact that the federal government shut down essentially over this issue when both parties are saying that they agree that there should be a solution for it. Um, So, I I mean, I think there's a lot going on. Um, Obviously, the the devil will be in the details, and when you're perhaps putting on, uh, you know, a border wall for $25 billion. Um, you know, there's more on the table than just streamers at issue here.
2: Left, look forward to. Ted Hessen, thank you very much for coming in. At Ted Hessen, Ted Hessen from The Politico, which I still call it. Nice to meet you, man. Thanks thank a lot. Thank you for, for coming in. in. It was really good. Bill Press Show, F. McMorris Santoro filling in for Bill. I'm signing off. Thank you for hanging out with me today. This is The Bill Press Show.